this morning, that they would be your words and not mine, that these people hear, and that it would be your spirit guiding and empowering them as they leave this place to share your hope and your love and your joy and your peace with the world around them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you join me now as we read this story from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we're now in the second week of our Advent series, Be Not Afraid. Last week we talked about the story of Joseph, and this week we turn to the Gospel of Luke where we see the story of Mary and her experience. And so uh, my big question to you this morning as we get started is, what is your biggest fear? Now, I'm a youth director, and I like a little bit of group discussion and participation, so I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor, and I'm sorry if you're a guest this morning, especially if it's your first time. I know that's terrifying, so if you're not a guest, be very kind to the guest sitting next to you. It's scary enough talking to somebody, but to share your biggest fear is a big deal. So if you'll turn and share with your neighbor your biggest fear, and we'll, uh, we'll start there this morning. All right, anyone brave enough to shout one of those fears out? Your own, not the person sitting next to you. Anybody? Failing finals? It's finals week, people. Pray for our college students. (laughs) Any others? Nobody else is brave enough. Okay, that's all right. So um, as a young mom and as a youth director and as a leader in our Mothers of Preschoolers group MOPS, I hear a lot of fears from parents, a lot of fears. And we have a great deal of fear. And so I started looking online to find kind of a, a compilation of these. I kind of knew what mine own, my own were, but I wanted some for, something for comparison. And so this is what I found. Losing my kid in the store, which I think we've all done at least once. The teenage years, like just all of them put together, um, not doing it right, not doing it right, seeing them hurt or sick, 
that they will never potty train. I have a four-year-old daughter, and I thought she would never potty train. I thought after a year and a half, she was just going to go to college in diapers, and that was going to be okay. It happens. It actually happens. Um, That they will resent me when they're older. They're just not going to like me very much. And finally, one of my favorite and the funniest to me was that the kid's going to puke, and my husband is not going to be there to clean it up. Now, even if you don't have kids and you're just a pet owner, you understand this fear, especially if you have a gag reflex, then you've got a couple of messes to clean up. So um, we have lots of things to fear, especially as parents, and Mary had those as well. Last week, we talked about Joseph, and what Joseph feared was the execution of Mary, that that was the uh, punishment for being a, a pregnant, unmarried woman, and so he had to fear her execution. Also, the fear of public ridicule for marrying Mary. And finally, the loss of his family's livelihood. But what we found at the end of that message was that there there were plenty of things for Joseph to fear, but there was no reason not to take Mary as his wife. That shouldn't have been one of them. So we have lots to fear, and Mary had lots to fear as well. As we turn to the story of, uh, of her annunciation in Luke, we find that Mary also has the fear of losing her life, her very life. And secondly, losing Joseph as a husband. We know that by reading back to Matthew that Joseph's plan originally was to divorce her quietly. He was just going to walk away and pretend like it didn't happen and let it go and let her deal with the consequences of that. And so she had to worry about losing Joseph and losing her own reputation and what that would imply for her son and his reputation as he grew older, Um, the loss of her reputation. We see that... um, one thing we can't gloss over in this story is that this is not just any baby, right? When Gabriel comes to Mary, he says, this baby's name is going to be Jesus, right? It's Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is no ordinary baby we're talking about. And that's a lot of pressure on Mary, don't you think? We're talking about Jesus, the Son of the Most High, Emmanuel, God with us. And you have to wonder if she had some feelings of inadequacy. It's our word for the day, inadequacy. That as she heard the angel describing the son she was going to bring into the world, she must have felt inadequate to raise the Son of God. And I think this fear of inadequacy is probably the greatest fear of most people. I know it is for me and for many mothers, many parents. And if you're a teen, if you're not a parent yet, not anywhere close to it, if you're a teen, maybe you're fearful of trying out for the track team or running for student government or applying to that Ivy League school that you think might be out of reach, but you want to try anyways. Or maybe you're an adult and you're wanting that promotion at work, but you don't feel like you've got the qualifications or the certifications or the experience to actually get that job. And so you let your fears stop you, that fear of inadequacy. Or maybe you're closing in on retirement. And you're looking back at a lifetime of work, and it's just not as fulfilling as you thought it was going to be. And you think, I could do something different, but it seems kind of late. And you let that fear stop you from trying something that might actually bring life and meaning for you and for someone else. And our fears, if we let them, our fears of inadequacy cripple us, and they paralyze us if we let them. So we have to think that this must have been true for Mary as well, that we actually have the advantage of knowing the end of Mary's story, right? The end where she weeps for her son at the foot of a cross and then a few days later finds his tomb empty and wondering where he is. We know the end of her story. 
And if she had known that part of her story, the night that Gabriel came to her, would she have actually been uh, willing to accept the invitation that God had for her to bear the Son of God, the salvation of the world? She might have thought twice. I know the day that I became a mother, I was full of these fears. And had I known that not only would I have about six months of all-day sickness, because morning sickness is a lie, it is all day, all night, all the time, and it lasted for six months. And then on top of that, I had multiple kidney stones, which is a whole other kind of pain and discomfort, especially when you're pregnant. Had I known those things the day I got pregnant, that that was going to be my experience, I might have thought a little differently. My fear might have been a little greater. But luckily, at least the first time we have a child, we have no comprehension of what's coming. We think we know what the labor room is going to be like. We think we know what that experience is going to be. And we just have no idea until we get there. And afterwards, we have these wondrous female hormones in our body that help us just to amazingly have like this amnesia, right? Like we immediately forget the pain and the suffering that we've just been through, not only the last few hours, but maybe even the last nine months. And we forget and we think, I could actually do that again. (laughs) And some of us do. Some of us do. And so this is a picture of us in the hospital holding Anna for the first time. And the amnesia is already at work. Those hormones are working along with the medicine and the IVs up there. But it all works together. Oh, besides the fear of being an inadequate parent, my second biggest fear during my pregnancy was actually the epidural. Um, And you wouldn't think you'd be afraid of the thing that actually brings relief from the pain, but I was. Um, And I tried to... I tried to plan. I was like, I'm going to do a natural childbirth. That's the best thing for me and for the baby and for the recovery and for our family. And I want to tell you that if that was your choice and you were able to do it, more power to you. I think it's amazing. I was not. After about 11 or 12 hours, I said yes to that epidural. And um, I said yes. And uh, it's amazing that God used that pain that I was experiencing. I was in the middle of a contraction, actually, when it happened, when they put the needle in, and it distracted me from my fear of the actual needle and that process and brought immediate relief and rest that I was going to need for the next five hours of labor and the next hard thing, which was birthing my beautiful 10-pound, 10-ounce baby girl. Now, there's the second thing, right, that had I known my daughter was going to be a three-month-old When she was born, there would have been a different conversation with the doctor that day and with my husband, and there probably would have been a C-section planned. Um, Had any of us known, had the doctor known, had the anesthesiologist or the nurses or Andy or I, my body's not capable of that, I wouldn't think. And it was. God allowed me and gave me that power to do that. See, we all have these feelings of inadequacy. I felt inadequate. Mary felt inadequate. You and I are inadequate. And to see how inadequate Mary was, we have to look a little bit about, about her story to actually see who Mary was. And so we find the word theotokos. Theotokos is your first blank there. And it's a Greek word for mother of God or God-bearer. 
mother of God. This name is a Christological declaration. It speaks to the very divinity of Christ, who he was, the word made flesh, both fully God and fully human, Jesus the Christ. And in this sense, Mary is often seen as the female representation of the divine. She is holy. She is divine herself. And we find this in the scripture in John. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which we believe to be John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, standing beside her, he said to his mother, Mary, woman, here is your son. And then he turned to John, the disciple, and he said, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And so it's easy for us to see how our Catholic and our Orthodox brothers and sisters around the world come to know Mary as their mother, my mother. That one of the last things Jesus did as he hung on the cross was not only to shed his blood for us, but to give us the gift of his mother and the amazing woman that she was and the role that she plays in our story of salvation, that she is a divine person for us and a magnificent role for us. And I see this when I read the story in Luke, but I also, as a human being and as a mother myself, I see a very scared mom. When you read through the scriptures and the commentaries, um, often you get a very um, male view of a very female experience. And so I hope to be able to kind of shed a little bit of light on that. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary to announce that she will bear a son, Jesus, she's depicted as very calm and obedient and contemplative and grace-filled, right? We get this very uh, peaceful feeling about the story. And I can imagine maybe that was her reaction. Maybe she had this Holy Spirit working in her that allowed her to respond in that way. But for me, that was not my experience. And for many mothers that I know, that was not their experience. And I have been with a young 14-year-old girl in my living room on my couch when she found out that she was pregnant. That certainly was not her experience. And so you have to wonder, was she scared? Was it fear in her face that Gabriel saw when he said, there's nothing to be afraid of. Do not fear. And I think there's something very, uh, very divine, very beautiful about this picture of Mary as being calm and obedient. And there's also something very beautiful about seeing the human experience for her. That Jesus was fully God and fully human, born to very human parents. And so it's a human experience as well in this story. And I don't know if you remember the day that you walked out of the hospital with the car seat for the first time. And you put it in and the nurses help you buckle them in just right. And then you look in the rearview mirror at the nurses and you wave goodbye. And what's your question? Are they going to let me leave with this baby? Do they know me? I've never babysat before. I don't have any kids in my circle of friends and family. This is a first for me. Are they really going to let me leave? And we have this flood and this fear of inadequacy, wondering if we're going to do it right, if we're going to mess them up, if we're going to, you know, put the diaper on their head. Instead, you know, we have all of these fears. And it doesn't matter if you're 20 or you're 40 on that day. It's all the same. And it was the same for Mary as well, I have to imagine. Because we have to know that her age and stage in life had a great deal to do with her response. That she was a resident of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. What does that mean? She was a resident of Nazareth. If you go to the Gospel of John, you read that Philip, who was a very new disciple of Jesus, is trying to convince Nathanael of who this Jesus person is. And he says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. And Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth, And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nowhere Nazareth, in the middle of nowhere, where there aren't really many important people. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Mary was in that stage in life. That's where she was from. She was marrying a lowly carpenter, as we learned last week. She wouldn't have been marrying down. I mean, yeah, marrying down. She would have been marrying up or laterally, right? Her stage in life was not great. She was not an important person. But God saw an important person. God saw an important person. So she's a resident of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. And then we know that she's young. Because life started much sooner in those days and in that culture. Young women married and began their families around the age of 12 or 14 because that's when your menstrual cycle starts for the first time and you become a childbearing age. And we read that and we think, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense to us in our day and age and in our culture. But for them, it was very normal, very normal that she would have been a young mother. She was a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. And... I know that on that day when I was sitting with a young 14-year-old girl in my, room, in my house, that her experience of that moment as, you know, an unwed mother, very young, um, from nowhere <laughs> and nothing, that there was fear there. And so I was trying to think of a really good uh, comparison, and I thought of the movie Juno. So I'm going to show you a clip of the movie Juno to kind of help put this in perspective for us. No. There it is. That little pink plus sign is so unholy. That ain't no Etch-a-Sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. <laughs> this is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. Like, her face, that is not calm and obedient and, like, you know, excited. That's not... What a young mother is feeling on that day when she knows she's not married and she doesn't have anything to her name and now she has a child to care for. There's decisions to be made. That is a, f- a face of fear and disbelief and just what comes next, right? And I have to think that maybe that's the face that Gabriel saw. Why would he have said, don't be afraid, if this was not the face that he saw? He saw some fear somewhere in her face. And I don't show that clip to diminish Mary's role in the story and the ultimate story of salvation. But she has, because she has a great voice, right? She is a woman with a voice in a time when women didn't have a voice. They were often thought of as property. And without a man beside them to speak for them, they didn't have much. And even in scripture, we don't get many names of women, let alone speech. And here she is asking a question, the only question a woman asks in the Gospel of Luke. How can this be since I am a virgin? And the answer to her question comes in three parts. The first is she remembers that the angel comes to her and says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And second, for you have found favor with God. And finally, Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that's how this is possible. That's how you're going to overcome this fear and do this terrifying thing to bring salvation to the world. So what does Mary do after her encounter with Gabriel? What is her first action? She goes to Elizabeth with haste immediately at once. And Elizabeth is thought to be her cousin or a relative, and Elizabeth does not live nearby. Elizabeth lives out in the Judean countryside. And so what is Mary doing? Why does she go to Elizabeth? 
One, to seek refuge. She's getting out of Dodge, right? She just found out she's pregnant. She's not yet married to Joseph. She doesn't know what comes next. And people are going to start noticing that her belly is growing and she doesn't know what's going to happen. So she goes to seek refuge with someone that she loves and knows will care for her. She goes to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is, go- is she's going to Elizabeth to seek affirmation and encouragement, Don't we all want that? In the times that are scary, we want affirmation and encouragement. And so she goes to Elizabeth because Elizabeth is a powerful person in her life. She's a truth speaker. And Elizabeth could have reacted in a couple different ways. She could have reacted with fear and judgment. That's probably our first go-to, right? When we find out that a young woman is pregnant and doesn't know who the dad is and doesn't know what she's going to do next week, we react in fear. We have judgment. We're a little critical. We have a lot of opinions about that. That was not Elizabeth's response. Elizabeth's response was this. Instead, she reacted with joy and blessing. And I think this picture captures it so beautifully, the joy in her face. That when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. She was carrying John the Baptist, the one to foretell of Jesus' coming. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, "'Blessed are you among women.'" And blessed is the fruit of your womb. She reacted with joy and blessing, and she was filled by the Holy Spirit to do that, to empower her to react in that way, and to give Mary then the power to go and do something truly terrifying, to play the role in the story of salvation on our behalf. And so we ask the question, how do we get from fear to rejoicing? How do we get from how can this be to the Magnificat a few verses later where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's a really big leap. How do we get there? And the answer is that she remembered she was favored by God. She remembered that she was favored by God. It didn't matter that she was a nobody from Nazareth because God thought she was adequate. God thought she was important. God chose her just like he chooses us. And he had created her for this. And his favor was upon her, and he promised to be with her. Second, she sought affirmation from a trusted mentor. She went to Elizabeth because she knew Elizabeth was going to speak truth and life into that situation, that she would give her clarity and comfort. And finally, she had a personal relationship with the Father. Big F, God the Father, right? I was talking to Mark as I was preparing the sermon, and he shed a little bit more light on this for me, um, that whether we view a new pregnancy, no matter what the situation, uh, whether we view that pregnancy as a blessing or a curse, often depends on the relationship with the father. That if the father, if the relationship with the father is strong and healthy and safe and secure, that oftentimes that pregnancy is seen as a blessing. But if the father is not safe and not secure, and, not, and is maybe abusive even or shameful and there's judgment and criticism there, then it's seen as a curse. It's not a good thing. But Mary had a relationship with the Father, a very deep and personal and loving and wonderful relationship with the Father where she trusted him. And we see this played out in the movie Juno as well as we continue through Juno's story. And she has decided to go ahead and keep this baby at the age of 16 She's going to have it, and she's going to choose a loving, adoptive family to raise it because she knows she doesn't have the ability to do it herself. And she goes to her dad, and she sits down at the kitchen table, and she's just full of fear and um, 
unrest. She doesn't know what's going to happen because it's not going as well as she thought. So let's see what her father has to say to her. I need to know that it's possible that two people can stay happy together forever. Well, it's not easy, that's for sure. And uh, I don't have the best track record in the world, I know, but I've been with your stepmother for 10 years now, and I'm proud to say we're very happy. Look, in my opinion, the best thing you can do is find a person who loves you for exactly what you are. <sighs> that's the kind of person that's worth sticking with. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I've found that person. Yeah, sure you have. Your dear old D.A.D. <laughs> you know, I'll always be there to love you, support you, no matter what kind of pickle you're in. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, right? She found someone to go to when she was concerned. She had somebody to speak truth and life and meaning into that situation just as Mary did. Mary remembered that she was favored by God. And she had the encouragement of a mentor, an Elizabeth. And she had a personal relationship with the Father. And that's what helped her overcome those crippling fears and moved her to a place where she could magnify the Lord. To where she could do the truly terrifying thing. To endure the pain and suffering. Watching her son grow and minister and die and be raised. And so our action steps this week are these. First of all, to recognize that you are favored by God, that you were created very good by God, and that you have all of his love and favor upon you. And secondly, to identify the Elizabeth in your life. Who is it when you get good news or bad news that you want to call, that you want to go see and talk to? Whose who's wisdom is it that you seek? Who's your truth teller, your prophet, your encouragement, and your support? Go to that person. Go to your Elizabeth. And finally, to do the scary thing God is calling you to do. We all have something truly terrifying in our life. We know what it is. And we're called to do that thing, to try out for the track team, to foster that child, to go for the promotion, to quit your job and do something completely different prayerfully, but it's okay if you do it prayerfully, right? If we have the affirmation and encouragement of people around us to support us in those things, those terrifying things. I got to go to Emerson Alternative School this last week. Our MOPS program supports the, uh, the teen parents there and their children that are in the daycare. And those young women are doing something truly terrifying. They have one, two, three kids, and they've decided to go back to high school and get their high school diploma. To get their high school diploma, they're starting businesses, they're applying to college, they're getting nursing certificates, they have grand plans, and they have the encouragement and support of people to actually make it possible. They're doing something truly terrifying, and it has meaning. It has meaning for them and for their kids. The artist Georgia O'Keeffe is often known as the mother of American modernism, and she said this, she said, I've been absolutely terrified every second of my life. And I've never let it keep me from doing a single thing that I wanted to do. So don't let the scary thing keep you from doing what you want to do. And more importantly, what God wants you to do, what God is calling you to do. So at the end of the movie Juno, Jennifer Garner plays the adoptive mother that Juno has chosen. And the character of her husband is played by Jason Bateman. 
and Jason has gotten cold feet. He's decided after going through this adoption process and getting close to the delivery date that he doesn't want this for his life. He wants something different, and he leaves. He leaves. And she's left with the terror of either choosing not to adopt this baby and not being a mother as she's always dreamed of, or choosing to raise this child alone and wondering whether she is able to do it. And Juno has the exact same fear, right? Is she going to let this woman raise her child alone? That wasn't what she had planned for this baby. So she has the same fear. So let's see what they do in the face of such terror. Would you like to meet your son? I have a son. Vanessa, if you're still in, I'm still in. Juno. If you're still in, I'm still in. See, Jennifer's character had wanted to be a mother her entire life. And she found out it was something she couldn't do by herself. And so she chose to adopt. And after many failed adoptions, she had this relationship with Juno and this new child. And it was scary, but it was even more scary when her husband walked away. And she had to wonder, am I capable? Am I adequate? Am I enough? Do I have this inside of me? And Juno had the same fear. If you're still in, I'm still in. You can see the fear on her face, right? When she walks into the room and holds her son for the first time, she doesn't know how to hold him, doesn't know if she's got him wrapped right, doesn't know if she's actually able to soothe him like she's supposed to. And when she turns around, she sees Juno's stepmother. She says, how do I look? And her stepmother says, like a new mom. It's what a new mom looks like. Kind of this mixture of excitement and fear and overwhelming love. And you just, it's what it looks like. And if, you'd, if Andy had helped me clip it a little further, <laughs> there was an expletive. But she said, <laughs> scared, scared. You look like a new mom, scared. And aren't we all? We're all a little scared. We all feel a little inadequate. We wonder if we're doing it right, if we have the ability. And it's normal to feel like that. And Juno's little note says it all. If you're still in, I'm still in. In other words, I think you're enough. I think you're adequate. I think you're the one for the job. I believe that you can be the mother of my baby and love him and care for him as if he had always been yours. If you're still in, I'm still in. So children of God, we are all like Mary. We are all inadequate. We are all terrified of something. But hear the good news this Advent season. God looks at you. 
God looks at you and says, if you're still in, I'm still in. Favored one, my good and beautiful creation, I'm with you. You are enough. And if you're still in, I'm still in. Now go. Do the terrifying thing and magnify the Lord. Let us pray. God, we are scared. And oftentimes we feel inadequate. We don't know what's next. We don't know if we have enough of anything to do what you've called us to do. But we know that you love us, that you created us, that you gave us a plan and a purpose and a gift that nobody else has, that you make us adequate, and that you've given us everything we need to do the scary things that you're calling us to every day. God, there's a lot of scary things out there around us, and this world needs that peace and that truth and that hope and joy and love, and we are called to take it. So help us to overcome those fears. Help us to remember that your favor is upon us, that your love and your spirit is with us, and that with you we have the power to go and make this world a better place, to bring your light and love to the world. And when we forget... And when we run out of words and just don't know what to say next, we are so grateful that you remind us, that you gave us those words. And we remember that our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.